Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, we do look to you now. We look to you now, Lord, to help us to learn and understand from your word what you are speaking to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Matthew chapter five and verse one. Okay, here we go. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is the reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Okay, so a little bit of looking back here. We started this new section with the words in in verse one, where it talked about that he went up into a mountain. Now, this mountain's important. In fact, this is called the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mountain. And so here on this mountain, we see the Lord Jesus. He's now taking his role as the great prophet. He's teaching the people. And of course, before this, Israel's great prophet is Moses. And even today, observant Jews, they don't just call him Moses. They don't just say Moisha. They always say Moisha Rabbeinu, which means Moses, our teacher, our rabbi. And so here, as Moses was faithful to be Israel's leader, which of course he was, and not only his leader out of the land of Egypt, but also his leader to God with the teaching that he gave, he spoke about a coming prophet when Moses told them, you should look for this prophet. He said in Deuteronomy 18, 17 through 19, 18, 17 through 18, 18 through 18, he said this, the Lord said unto me, they have well spoken in that which they have spoken, I will raise them up a prophet from among their breath like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So here we have now, on this mount, standing Jesus, who is that promised prophet that the people were told to look for, 
they were told that this coming great prophet would be raised up by God from among them, from among the people, which meant that they would all know where he came from. And this is exactly what we see happening when they answered the question of where did this Jesus come from? And when they said in John 6.42, John 6.42, they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? So when they said that about the Lord Jesus, that was a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Moses that this prophet was gonna be raised up from among their brethren, which he was. They all knew that he was from among them. So the great prophet is raised up from the midst of Israel, and we see that he was raised up, and the conditions when he was raised up, as far as spiritual condition goes in Israel, was very dry. It was very dry. In fact, this is how he is prophesied to be in Isaiah 53.2. Isaiah 53.2 speaks of him as that growing up before the Lord as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. So God told Israel in this Deuteronomy 18.18, Deuteronomy 18.18, God said, I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. So here God is telling Israel that from the mouth of the prophet Jesus would come the words of God. And from the mouth of the prophet Jesus, he would be faithful to speak all that God had told him to speak. And this is what we have here on the Sermon on the Mount. It's the words of God coming out of the mouth of Jesus. And this is the significance of the second verse where it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them. So when Moses spoke further of this great coming prophet, he attached a certain warning to the people about this prophet. And Moses said, Deuteronomy 18.15, Deuteronomy 18.15, the same thing that God said. He said, the Lord thy God shall raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me. But then he said, unto him ye shall hearken. When he said that, unto him you shall hearken, Moses was really saying, you better listen to him. That's what he's saying. You better listen to him. Because Moses had a lot of experience in the people not listening to him. He could say, look, there were plenty of times, Moses could have said to the people, there were plenty of times, you didn't listen to me. And there were consequences to that. There were fiery serpents that killed you. There was ground that opened up that destroyed you. There was plagues that went among you and killed many of you. So when you didn't listen to me, there were consequences. But what Moses was saying is that when it comes to this coming prophet, you better listen to him because you think that you had bad consequences for not listening to me. You have no idea how terrible the consequences will be if you don't listen to him. And this is what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 25, 31. Matthew 25, 31, when, it's, when he spoke about himself. And he said, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then hell shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left And that means that when the Lord sits as a judge, as he spoke about being the judge, that he is going to judge who's gonna be brought into heaven and who's gonna be cast into hell. And this judgment Moses did not do and will not do, but this great prophet will do that because he said 
in John 5.22, John 5.22, for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. But when you look at the characteristic that was emphasized about the coming prophet, it was all about he will be like Moses. Deuteronomy 18.15, Deuteronomy 18.15, the Lord thy God shall raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thy brethren like unto me. And this is what God told Moses, is that the prophet is gonna be like unto thee. And so this is what makes these words so important in the first verse here of Matthew 5, 1, when it says, he went up into a mountain. Because Moses, as a person, has a mountain that he's associated with. What mountain is that? It's Mount Sinai. And now this great prophet has a mountain that he is associated with. It's the Mount of the Sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Well, we could talk about the Mount of the Sermon. And this is what leads us to contrast between the Mount Sinai of Moses, of the prophet Moses, and the Mount of the Sermon of the prophet Jesus. Because what's important about Mount Sinai is that it was great, it was a great Mount Sinai. When Moses went up into that Mount Sinai, it was a scene of tremendous drama. Tremendous, I mean, just think of the greatness of that scene and all the drama that Moses has described for us in Exodus 20, verse 18, Exodus 20, verse 18, when it says, all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. So just imagine that scene for all the people. They're standing there at Mount Sinai and they have this crashing booms of loud thunder. They have this loud sound of a trumpet. They have these frightening flashes of lightning all around them, and then they're being choked by the smoke that's in their eyes and their lungs. That was quite a scene. Those are four elements there that made up Mount Sinai at that time. Thunder, lightning, trumpet, smoke. And this all this terrified the people, so they moved back. So Mount Sinai was a place where God revealed to the people his power, his might, his terror. And on that day, Jehovah Jesus who is the God of Mount Sinai, was revealed on Mount Sinai with great power, contrast that Mount Sinai where the prophet Moses stood with the Mount of the Sermon where the people were now, where the prophet Jesus stood. Because on the Mount of the Sermon, there was no thunder, just the sound of a gentle breeze. On the Mount of the Sermon, there was no lightning. Maybe it was just a gentle blue sky during that day. On the Mount of the Sermon, there was no trumpet, just the soft voice of the Savior. On the Mount of the Sermon, there was no smoke. And so you just imagine the people, what they saw at Mount Sinai, when they saw the power and the might and the terror of Jehovah Jesus. And now just think in contrast how when they saw that on Mount Sinai, they just saw a little part. They didn't see it all. They just saw a little part of his power and his terror. But in the future, there's described the full showing of this power in Revelation 6.14, Revelation 6.14, which speaks about the heavens departing as a scroll. It's rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, 
and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? But here, in contrast to all this, here now on this mount of the sermon, the heavens aren't open as a scroll. They're closed. There's a blue sky. And here on this mount of the sermon, there's no mountain, and island that's moved out of its place. That's gonna come in the future. But here on this mount of the sermon, there's no one hiding themselves from the face of the Lamb, Jesus, like they're in the future. I mean, this mount of the sermon, there's no one begging, there's no one crying out to mountains and rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of Jesus. And so on this mount of the sermon, he's not sitting in judgment. He's not sitting in a great judgment like he isn't gonna be in the future. Because on this mount of the sermon, this is not the wrath of the Lamb. This is just the gentle teaching of the Lamb. So what's going on here? What's going on here at the Mount of the Sermon? It's the same Jehovah Jesus that was at Mount Sinai. It's the same Jehovah Jesus in Revelation 6, where the people are begging, 6.14, where the people are begging the mountains and the rocks to follow him, to hide his face. But on Mount Sinai, just a little was seen of the power of Jehovah Jesus, unveiled. In the future, Jehovah Jesus in Revelation 6.14 is fully unveiled. And that day is called the great day of his wrath. The great day of his wrath. Now, that day of his wrath, the only mouths that are heard are the mouths of those crying out to rocks and mountains to fall on them, kill them, hide them, bury them from the face of the lamb, from the great day of the wrath of the lamb. But this is all different now on the Mount of the Sermon. Same Jehovah Jesus as in Mount Sinai as in Revelation 6.14, but now he's veiled. And why? Why? Why are we seeing this that's different? Because now, on the Mount of the Sermon, Jehovah Jesus is looking for men, but not for judgment. He's seeking men. He's came because he's come now as he's there on the Mount of the Sermon. He's come now. He's come to seek and to save as he said in Luke 19.10, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We don't have the wrath of the Lamb here. We have the salvation of the Lamb here. Here we have Jehovah Jesus looking for those who will respond to his invitation, his Matthew 11.28 invitation. Matthew 11.28 says where he invited with the come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. What we see here in this chapter is Jehovah Jesus that we saw right after Adam fell into sin. When we saw him in Genesis 3.9, Genesis 3.9, where it says, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? See, that's a different Jehovah. It's the same Jehovah Jesus, but it's a different side. And that's the side that we're seeing here on this Sermon on the Mount. This is the Lord Jesus, the Lord God Jesus, calling to the lost sons of Adam with the same call of, where art thou? So in this Matthew chapter five, Jehovah Jesus is veiled. The wrath of the lamb is veiled. His title is 
of God as 100% completely veiled as he seeks those who are weary and heavy laden. And so that's the point of this chapter. It's God veiling himself in the person of Jesus, and that's the way he is seen today. Deity veiled in flesh and known simply as Jesus. This is only temporary. This is just a temporary veil. It's not gonna be in place. Really, I don't think it's gonna be in place for much longer. And the only ones who can be saved are the ones that fall at the feet of God who is veiled in Jesus and will say to Jesus the words that Thomas said in John 20, 28. John 20, 28, when Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Remember now that when Jesus is completely unveiled, finally unveiled, and he's seen as the lamb upon his throne, it's gonna be too late to be saved. The door will be closed. And no one can be saved after Jehovah Jesus is unveiled. And that's why the Bible says to anyone thinking about being saved, considering being saved, the Bible's message is very simple. Hurry up. Hurry up, because it says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, 2 Corinthians 6.2, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So basically what that verse is saying is that today is a day of hurry up. Hurry up, be saved, because the day of the unveiling of the Lord Jesus as the Lord God Almighty, the judge, it's coming. It's coming, and after that, no one can be saved. The door will be shut. So the day when Moses stood on Mount Sinai was the day of the giving of the law. That was the Mount Sinai with all that thunder and so forth, terror. It was the giving of the law. The day of the coming Mount Sinai, so to speak, when the Lord Jesus sits on his throne will be the day when man is held accountable for the law he broke. And that day is called the day of the great wrath of the Lord. It's the day when there'll be only judgment, no salvation, no granting of salvation, no matter how sincere and how strong the pleas are, no. And until that day comes, we're living in the day of the other mountain, the day of the Mount of the Sermon, where the great prophet is calling out to man to be saved. So this is the great significance between the two mountains of the Mount Sinai and the Mount of the Sermon before us, the difference between the scene at the Mount Sinai and the scene at the Mount of the Sermon is basically John 1.17. John 1.17, which says, the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Okay, so just as God was telling Moses that about the mouth of this coming prophet in Deuteronomy 18.18, Deuteronomy 18.18, when God said that I'll put my words in his mouth, And so that's what brings us to the significance in verse two when it says, he opened his mouth and taught them. So the mouth of God has a lot of significance. It's very important, the mouth of God. For man, it's very important. Why? Because the first time we see the mouth of God is when man received life in Genesis 2-7. Genesis 2-7, which says, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So man became a lived soul when God opened his mouth and put his mouth over the nostrils of man and then breathed into man God's breath, the breath of life. And from the mouth of God comes life. That's the message of Genesis 2, 7. It's from the mouth of God comes life. Just like life came to man 
from the creator God in Genesis 2-7, so life comes from the mouth of the creator God in this Sermon on the Mount. In this Sermon on the Mount, this is the same Jehovah Jesus that's speaking from his mouth, and what's coming out of his mouth is what's termed in Philippians 2.16, Philippians 2.16, the word of life. It's the word of life. That's how scripture is described. It's described as the word of life that's breathed out, not breathed in, but breathed out from the mouth of God. So this brings us to the scripture, a very famous scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, all scripture is given by inspiration, inspire, inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. Most translations use that word, inspiration. It's wrong. It's a wrong word because inspiration refers to breathing in as opposed to breathing out. That is not the correct word to describe the Greek word nuo, nuo, which is the word that's used here in 2 Timothy 3.16. The Greek word nuo, where we get our word pneumatic, as in a tire is pneumatic, and if you poke a hole in the tire, it's not gonna suck in air, it's gonna blow air out. The Greek word nuo means a breath out or a breeze. It's the same, very similar to the word in Hebrew, ruach. Ruach means breath or wind. So 2 Timothy 3.16 uses this Greek word nuo, the nuo of God to describe the scripture. It's really saying all scripture is breathed out. And the only translations that really got it right is the New International Version, the NIV, which says all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching and also the Amplified. So the scripture is the word of life that is breathed out, out of God, and it takes us back to this scene, this dramatic scene in Genesis 2-7, Genesis 2-7, when God is breathing out into man this breath of life and man becomes a living soul. So the implication for us, you say, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, it does have a lot to do, because the implication for us is that every time we open our Bible, we should see ourselves as the Adam with no life in himself, and we should see God as the one who has life in himself. And when we open the Bible, we should see God opening his mouth and breathing into us the breath of life. And that means that every time we open the Bible, we should imagine God opening his mouth to breathe into us the breath of life. And that's the significance here in verse two when it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And when God opens his mouth to teach us, he breathes into us life. Adam was born the first time by the breath of God and the sons of Adam, we are born the second time by the God-breathed-out word of God, which is what it says in 1 Peter 1.23. 1 Peter 1.23 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God. Being born again by the word of God, by the breath of God, by the breathed-out word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So as we look at verse two, where it says, he opened his mouth and taught them, we see God breathing out this life-giving word of life, the word of God. And we see ourselves receiving that life-giving word of God right from his mouth, which is exactly what God was expressing when he said in Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 8.3, man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Right from the mouth of God comes the word of life, and it comes to us, and which is why the term word of life is so wonderful. So when we read in Matthew 5, 2, that he opened his mouth, and we see the Lord opening his mouth to give, we should see ourselves as reciprocating and opening our heart to receive that word. This is what makes the Sermon on the Mount so important. Now, 
We're coming now as we're going through these blessed be care of people, anyway. It says there in verse 10, there's one we come to now. We can, so we're coming to another blessed are, and that's the verse 10. It says, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 